Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple. Uh, not, I guess, <laughs> not how the, any of us wanted the weekend to uh, to kind of shake out. The Mets had uh, three or four against the last place Pirates in their hands and just, uh, you know, couldn't get the job done. Louis Rojas tried to get five outs out of Edwin Diaz, which I'm fine with that move. I really am, but, um, you know, hey... <laughs> It's surprising. It's surprising. It flies under the radar how – and it's funny because they don't score any runs. They're actually scoring less runs per game than the Mets are. But this is a Pirates lineup that has, I think, five regulars uh, coming into the series with 100 weighted runs created plus or higher. So, you know, five above average hitters. A little surprising that they they have the record and the, and the production levels that they do. But um, – you know, we saw it. You know, guys like Adam Frazier, guys like Brian Reynolds. You know, they, they're going to beat you. They're professional hitters. Whether they're still in Pittsburgh at the end of the month, that's a, another question altogether. But uh, yeah, the Mets had. You know, they had the opportunity to close out the first half on a really, really high note, and that, you know that would have been nice. But um, there's certainly nothing to, uh, to you know get your heads down about. Uh, you know, yet. Performed like absolute wizards over the first half. Um, you know, losing, I believe it's 26 players to the uh, injured list over the first half of the season. Uh, I guess, well, that's including spring training, I believe, too. Uh, you know, that's that's a, a, a mountain to get over. And this team has got over it. They're, you know, they're heading into the All-Star break four games up in the division, I believe. You know, that's, um, that, that's, that's you know, big time resiliency that's big time grit right there and it's a uh, you know it, it that falls on the as i've said it plenty of times here in the past that falls on the leadership in louis rojas that falls on the uh, you know I, I i've been speaking the praises of jeremy hefner and jeremy accardo and ricky meinhold and the rest of the uh the the pitching staff and, and the the analytics staff that's that's getting these guys the right information to put them in spots to succeed but you know from the, the the coaching staff to the veterans down to the players themselves and sure the offense hasn't really performed up to the level that that the pitching has but um you know plenty of time for uh, uh to turn that around and you know we'll talk a little bit in the second half about looking back on uh on on i guess what actually happened in the first half and, and how guys performed and how groups performed but um you know, coming into this weekend, you really wanted to see the Mets naturally, you know, foot to the, you know, foot to the gas and, and really, you know, start cruising. Um, I don't think taking four from the Pirates was out of the question leading into the weekend. And, uh, you know, you had rain out Friday, so that whatever little momentum they had going heading into the series was kind of watered down. Um, guys are picking it up offensively, and that's, you know, that's certainly a plus. And it was still fleeting through the weekend you saw it you know I think I said it on Sunday you know for for the Mets to really hit that next level they'll need this offense to kind of turn from a a lethal in spurts kind of offense to being consistently dangerous um you know they have the players to do so and adding another player wouldn't hurt (laughs) you know I, I we heard a lot about Josh Donaldson last week uh that's you know it's an option I wouldn't be the direction I'd go we do hear now that the Cubs are uh, beating, excuse me, beginning their fire sale. So, uh, if Chris Bryant is indeed available and the the price isn't too steep, uh, actually, you know, 
if we're talking to the Cubs, you might as well discuss a starting pitcher. I like Kyle Hendricks, and I'm getting off topic, but Kyle Hendricks started off the season really rough. I believe over his first five starts, he allowed 10 home runs. Over his last 13, I believe he has an ERA of like 2.70. Um, yeah, just, you know, doing all he can to get back on track. And I believe he's got a little over $40 million left on his deal over three years, which that's that's palatable. I could I could deal with that. If you're putting up numbers like that and you're only coming in to be a number four, number five guy, sure. Yeah, that's um, that's something I think the Mets could work with. But whether the Cubs are going to be dealing away um, a – reasonably affordable veteran pitcher, it's it's to be determined. Um, you do have to assume that, as we said, Chris Bryant will be available. You have to wonder whether Craig Kimbrell is going to be available, and uh, the Mets could certainly use another viable arm in the bullpen. And the bullpen's been great, but we're starting to see kind of dents in the armor and the inconsistencies of a, a season, which is normal for a bullpen, kind of, you know, take uh, come into play and and I think Trevor May let up his first earned run in his last, I think he came into Saturday, 10 appearances in a row without an earned run and a big home run on Saturday and kind of put things out of reach um, in game one, which <laughs> nobody thought the Mets were going to come back and win game two because they've been so bad in second games of doubleheaders this season. But, you know, coming coming out and, and, and really shaking off the uh, the the game one loss was, uh, was certainly encouraging. And, you know, Sunday they come out firing um, five runs in the first Francisco Lindor, who's really just been picking it up tremendously. I believe he's nine for 28 in July after at the, I'm sorry. No, no, no. 10 for 30. Nope. I got it wrong again. 11 for 32 in July uh, after his pop out to end the game on Sunday, uh, 11 for 32, two homers, only seven strikeouts. Uh, I believe it was 43 or 44 plate appearances. You know, that's going to, um, that's more like the Francisco Lindor we've been waiting for. Michael Conforto finally broke out. Finally, he, he had a, a two hit game, his first game back. And since then he had scored, I have it right here. Sorry. I'm sorry. So he went, he had a two hit game on his first game back on June 23rd, went three for 42 after that. That was heading into today. Very, very big three-run home run in the first. Um, needed that. You saw the level of excitement in the Mets dugout when it went out. You saw Conforto. I think he threw up the churve twice, once coming around second and then once coming around third. He was visibly pumped up, and I think everyone was pretty pumped up for him, especially this guy here because I have been – I wrote a, a story at the Apple this week saying that Michael Conforto will be fine. Again, this is in the middle of his three for almost 50 stretch. Um I took I, – I was defending Scooter's honor all week. Um, I, you know, of course, there's no defending a, a, a tough stretch, but I just kind of wanted everyone to see that, you know, coming back from a five-week layoff, not everyone is Brandon Nimmo where you just pick up a bat, jump right in. You saw it with Jeff McNeil too. And, I, you know, I, again, I spoke about this. I believe we talked about it on Friday on the pod a little bit too, but – and now it's kind of coming to fruition, so we're talking about it again. Um, Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto, both of them, they've been hitting the ball very hard, both um, hard hit percentages well above their career averages, but both were really struggling at the plate. And now you hit, you know, and, you know, you could look at McNeil over the last, I believe, since the calendar turned to July. He's really turned it on. I wrote about that Sunday morning, actually, over at the, uh, over at the Apple. 
Coming into Sunday, he was at 357, 419, 393. Only picked up his first extra base hit, uh, extra base hit since he's been back on Saturday. But you know he's hitting balls hard. Now they're certain they're they're starting to find the grass, and that's you know certainly a good thing. We saw last week how important Brandon Nimmo is to just the Mets offense, just kind of rolling along and performing like the machine that they were built to perform as. Um, you saw the benefits of Pete Alonso starting to hit tank home runs over the last week. And, you know, everything sort of comes together. And the more that the Mets bring healthy players back and the quicker, well, you can't say the quicker they settle in, but, the, you know, as they start to settle in and find their timing, as we're seeing now with McNeil, as we're seeing now with Conforto, it's going to make all that difference because it alleviates the stress off everyone else in the lineup to that that need to perform. Now everyone can just go to work and, and, and swing the bat and only worry. I believe Rojas said it about McNeil after game two on Saturday. He's only going up there and thinking about hitting, looking for his pitch and putting the ball on the bat, uh, putting the bat on the ball. I, I'm paraphrasing, but still it's, um, it's right where you want to see these guys. And, you know, I, I think that harping on, the slumps that we saw, and of course, they were very, very prolonged slumps for both Conforto and McNeil. And this is this could even apply to Francisco Lindor, who had just an atrocious first, I guess you could say, couple of months. But he's looked like Francisco Lindor over the last six weeks, and now you know into July, he's really starting to look like Francisco Lindor, and it's exciting. I think everyone's kind of primed for a, um, a very exciting second half. You saw Dom Smith come around over the last few weeks. I believe he came into Sunday. His weighted runs created plus in July was 176 or something to that effect. And, you know, it just, again, you can look one through eight. You can even look at James McCann, who's been uh, offensively, I think, certainly more than I expected. Uh, you know, a lot of folks didn't believe, uh, I guess, thought that his high productive year at the plate was a mirage. I believe that was 2019 took a dip in 2020. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, um, you know, I, I don't think, I think everyone was more kind of looking forward to McCann's glove and, and game calling, which has been terrific. I like his game calling. I don't think his, his framing metrics are as glowing as advertised yet, but, um, you know, taking, especially fielding metrics into account, um, not counting ones, I should say, I guess the fluctuating ones, I guess, well, they're all kind of fluctuating. I'm talking out of my ass, but, uh, I, you know, taking a half season of, of metrics, especially in such a specific matter, a uh, specific kind of area that uh, framing is in, um, I, you know, I would give that time to ki- kind of even out. But it's it certainly, you know, Tomas Nito is the defensive-minded catcher, and he's been hitting well. He's been hitting very well with runners in scoring position. But, you know, James McCann has turned into the offensive catcher. And if he's going to produce, that's it's perfectly fine. But, uh, you know, you just kind of have to wait for the whole puzzle to come together. And, you know, you could even look on the on the pitching staff side. And, you know, the starting pitching has been terrific. And after the top three, you know, you've had a lot of guys in flux. And, uh, you know, Tyler McGill had a very, very nice outing again on Saturday. He's been terrific. His 26 strikeouts over his first three outings, uh, four outings, is the most tied for the most in franchise history, and uh, you know that's that's 
the, the pleasant surprises that kind of keep things going. Uh, the Mets certainly needed it. Uh, I don't. After Sunday, I don't believe we're going to be seeing Jared Eichhoff much anymore. You know, and he he, he pitched well. He, I think he he had two shutout innings before he got touched up in his third inning of work, um, which kind of led to everything else crumbling. But uh, to end the no, it wasn't to end his inning. Was that the fifth? Maybe it was the fourth. Anyway, um, somebody uh, was a little dribbler or a bunt in front of the plate. And he had absolutely no business throwing the first. If that ball gets away, um, you know, it changes the, the, the dynamic of the game a lot earlier than the dynamic of the, of the game changed. Uh, but, you know, that's not a major leaguer type play. That's a, that's a, a little league, a, a, a junior high school mistake is, is letting that ball go to first. You just don't throw it. And, you know, he, I think his last time up before he got DFA, then brought back on, he let up five home runs. You know, I just, you know, great, thank you for your contributions. But, you know, with what, with, excuse me, with what's happening right now, as a team, you Mets, the Mets can't take that chance to have some pitcher who's, all due respect, of course, not all that great, you know, putting the, the outcome of the game at question because he wants to send one to first on a play that the guy's already 50 feet up the line. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. But, um, you know, mental lapses happen. But for a guy who is fringe at best, I wouldn't expect to see him cut loose. Um, you know, the Mets will have Carrasco back. The Mets, hopefully, Syndergaard was thrown from, I think, 90 feet this weekend. That's a great sign. You got to hope once he ramps it up, there's no more setbacks. And uh, certainly let him take all the time he needs as long as he's back before postseason rosters are set. I'm happy. I'm totally fine with that. Um, you kind of saw the bullpen <laughs> at its worst on Sunday. Um, I think Miguel Castro coming in, he had a very, real nice first inning of work. Uh, came in, got 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 the job done, and ran into trouble his second inning. And I think for a guy who was um, who has been struggling, leaning on him for two innings in that spot might not be smart, especially when, as we saw, Drew Smith was available. It just doesn't make much sense. Um, that, of course, brought Edwin Diaz into the game early. Things crumbled from there. The Mets made some waves in the ninth, but uh, I think uh, Guillaume led off with a single. Nimmo grounded into a double play, and Lindor popped out. But, you know, there's always areas to improve on. And there's going to be games like this. There's going to be down stretches where, oh my, you know, you're going to hear from every Mets fan from here to the deli to the bagel store to the CVS that, oh, the sky's falling, this team sucks, you know, Lindor's going to go 0 for 15 and he's going to be the worst player on the planet again, Michael Conforto's going to go 0 for 20 and he's just, you know, trade him away, DFA, and we're going to hear, you know, it, there's going to be, this is how this fan base gets, and that's a good thing because we're very, very passionate, that's, that's never a bad thing. I guess, you know, after a very long time, and I can't even say it's for everybody because you can see 60, 70, 80-year-old Mets fans. Well, of course, they haven't been Mets fans for 80 years, but since since their inception, who still, you know, look at a bad stretch. Ah, oh, this team sucks. And, you know, that's just kind of ingrained in us by now. But it shows our passion. It shows that we care about this team. And, you know, it's um over the years, they've become part of our lives. It's just how it is. We care deeply about how this team does. We care deeply about the players. It's just being a Mets fan. It's just, it is what it is. 
I, I guess I have an easier time separating myself from um, getting too high or too low. I can stay even killed. I guess, I, you know, I have my moments today, uh, uh, Sunday, I should say, because you're listening to this on Monday. But um, when I coughed through that ball away, I was fuming. I don't get mad about baseball games. I was fuming. Um, yeah, just I, I don't want to harp on Jared Eichhoff, but it's just, it's a mistake that you can't make. Um, you know, the potential for disaster. And we saw a disaster by the end of the day anyway. But, uh, yeah, you just you, you can't make mistakes like that. Um, what else from Sunday? Hey, the Futures game. We have the All-Star game, of course, this week, which we'll talk about on Thursday, when we, uh, Friday when we come back. We're also, oh, if everything works out, we're hoping to have Steven and Roberto Correa, my buddy Ray. I, we call them both. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> I slip up. Um, they're going to be back to discuss which direction the Mets went uh, regarding the draft, which, of course, starts Sunday night, and that'll tie in, I believe, through Tuesday. Uh, it's 20 rounds. I'm not sure how long that's going to take. It, it could be done by, by Monday. I, I don't know. I, as you heard on the last episode, I'm not super informed on the draft. But um, Steven certainly got me hyped up on Ty Madden, pitcher from Texas. I think I got that right. Uh, and, yeah, again, my apologies again, guys. You heard last episode get cut off uh, with uh, our infamous L-I-R-R train stop bell. Um I got cut off on our recording and we lost, it was a solid 45 minutes. So on Thursday, you guys are going to be uh, getting a full episode with Ray and, uh, and Steven and we're, we're going to have some fun, but back to Sunday, just a couple more things we wanted to touch on. Uh, the futures game, you had Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, by the way, who was, who'll be promoted to double a Binghamton after Sunday's futures game, uh, after absolutely tearing up high a Brooklyn, I don't have his numbers in front of me. I should, but I don't, um, just ripping it up. Uh, you know, strikeouts were going to be a, a potential Achilles heel for Brett Beatty. I believe he's dropped his strikeout percentages. From rookie ball, I think he struck out 30% of the time in rookie ball. I believe he's down to 26% in uh, in high A. That's an extremely encouraging step forward, in my opinion. Let's see if he can carry that over into Binghamton. You know, double A, as we've heard, probably has the most, I guess, the most, the highest level of pitching, I guess. We're going to have to get Jacob back here. He knows more about these things than I do. But, um, you know, taking this leap after not a whole bunch of experience at the lower levels, it's going to it's gonna be a decent litmus test. And I wouldn't be shocked if Beatty maybe, you know, is vulnerable his early days in the league. Because, again, double-A pitching is different than high-A or before this year, he would have been in, you know, you can't even consider what high A is right now because everything is just a little mishmashed. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not overly concerned that he'll fall into bad habits. I just think that uh, it might take a little adjustment time, but he's going to be good. Um, we heard from J.J. Cooper of Baseball America on Sunday, back to my point, that Brett Beatty and Alvarez showed uh, some of the more impressive power in the National League's uh, batting practice session. I believe he said that Alvarez's raw power was the most impressive out of the group, which if if you've seen the rosters for the Futures game, uh, that is a very impressive minor league roster. Beatty, he said, had the most consistent power. I believe he put out five in a row at one point during, and again, it's batting practice, but still, 
this is a, a spot. Uh, the Futures game alone is a spot for guys to make names for themselves. But the media coverage at something like batting practice, it you know, it, it certainly puts a little steam behind a guy like Brett Beatty, who, you know, Mets fans knew about him last year. That was that's about it. Um, now everyone's starting to take notice. I believe he, I want to say he's still top ten in the minors in weighted runs created plus. Francisco Alvarez is way up there as well. I believe he was fourth last time I checked. So again, the Mets have, um, you know, studs down there. Whether, you know, I can't see Alvarez going anywhere, but, um, you know, Beatty's certainly making a case to, to stick around as well. But with the trading deadline coming up, we might see some names being floated. I know I said it on on uh, on Twitter this week that, I, you know, if it was up to me, I think I would keep, if the, if the decision was this, uh, I, I would keep Ronnie Mauricio over a Brett Beatty in a potential deal. God knows what that deal is, just in a potential deal if I had to pick. Just because I think Ronnie Mauricio, and I know the numbers aren't there, but you have to keep in mind he's been playing an average. Matt Brown's team was talking about this last week on the show. Um, he's been playing an average of, I think, three years below his, uh, I guess, playing against guys who are an average three years older than him, I should say. So, uh you know, he's. I think he's coming along fine. I think in spring training we saw exactly what his tools are, what he can do. Um, whether you know the, the organization feels the same way, I just think that as a potential major league impact player, I, I kind of think Mauricio might have the edge as a higher ceiling. But again, I'm not a prospect expert, and this is just one person's opinion, so it means nothing. Um, I would like to see uh, another bat brought in, possibly. I know we talked a little bit about Bryant, but even just kind of shoring up some weak spots. But Bryant really does feel like a, a perfect fit. Um, you know, for an expiring deal, let's say if Bryant is the hypothetical target. Boy, I'm getting way off tangent. I haven't even taken a break yet. Sorry, guys. Um, let, so let's say if Bryant is hypothetically available, you know, are you going to – part with a a Ronnie Mauricio for what could amount to be a rental. I think the Mets would have a very good shot at re-signing him um, or extending him, I should say, or even just, you know, bringing him back into the fold, however they want to approach it. But is that gamble worth it for sending off a high-risk prospect? Would a high-risk prospect even be necessary? You know, I know a lot of people like Mark Vientos, and Mark Vientos is a really good prospect. He's starting to show his his power quotient, his um, versatility. They're trying to move him around the diamond, I believe. You know, whether he fits in the organization's future plans, which could also be said about Mauricio because he's got Lindor ahead of him, but the same way that they're kind of moving around Vientos – I would be moving around Mauricio. I, if I'm repeating myself from the last show, I'm sorry, guys. We just recorded a few days ago. My apologies. But, you know, the Mets have decisions to make. And, you know, it's it's going to make waves. You don't want to mortgage away the future for a rental. But the carrot is being dangled. And if, if Chris Bryant gets closer to getting that carrot, you know, it's a, it's a gamble. It's a risk you might have to take. We're going to take a very quick break, uh, hear from the sponsors, hang tight. We're going to come back and just, I guess, you know, wax optimistic about the first half and look forward to the second half. Hang tight. And welcome back, everybody. 
Uh, as promised, we're going to do a quick recap of the first half. Not a recap. We're just going to kind of talk about some high points, some low points, uh, some encouraging numbers, what have you, and kind of look ahead to the second half, see what's going to be uh, most important moving forward. So, you know, naturally, the first thing you want, you're going to that we're all going to look back on the first half is is of course the Mets pitching staff, which has been tremendous. I mean, the the starting the Mets after. Sunday, I believe, has tried have trotted out 15 starting pitchers in the first half. Now, and that that's of course including, oh, I believe it's five openers now. But uh, you know, that's that's not what anybody expected. Um, you could look at the one through three, like we said in the first half of the show. Jacob Degrom has been just historically good. He's literally chasing history, uh, doing things at least on the pitching side that we've never seen before. It's very funny that Shohei Otani across the country is doing things just in general that we've never seen before. But um, Jacob Degrom's having absolutely a magical special season. Uh, Finishes the first half with a 1.08 ERA, um, a 4.8. Wins above replacement via Fangraphs, but the 4.8, uh, excuse me, 4.8 F WAR um, leads all major leaguers combined, and that just blows you away. That he, you know, he comes out every five days and he's leading all major leaguers in wins above replacement. Just mind blowing. Uh, Tywan Walker, who of course was named to the National League All Star Game, um, All Star Team this weekend, will be attending the game in Colorado. Hopefully, getting in there. Uh, you certainly like to see him get in there. I know he just pitched on Saturday, so we'll have to see. But he finished out the first half with a 2.50 ERA, uh, three walks per nine on the nose, uh, only let up a little more than a half a home run per nine innings, 0.60. Uh, behind him, he had Marcus Stroman, 2.74 ERA. His walks per nine were well, were well below Walker's, 2.28. Uh, also with a less than a home run per nine, 0.91. Uh, Stroman, I believe, is fifth in the majors in ground ball percentage. He came into, uh, I believe, Sunday was 52%, and I believe that that probably would have stuck. Um, you know, you, you had so much production from these top three guys, but it doesn't really end. It had, didn't really end there. Um, Joey Lucchese found his way and really contributed some very, very strong starts that, you know, kept this team afloat when they really, really needed it. David Peterson, you know, talk about coming into his own. This is a guy who was thrown into the fire in 2020 after a handful of double-A starts. That's it. And, uh, you know, really just every time he went out, you saw his confidence building. You know, before the season, you guys heard it here from me. I did not – I had questions regarding – Peterson being ready to adjust with major league hitters because now they have a book on him and now it's, you know, it was a lot to put on the pit on the shoulders of a young pitcher who hadn't had a lot of experience in the high levels. And, you know, he's, he, he worked beautifully and uh, injuries took him down. He has a, the oblique strain. I believe he was throwing this weekend. Um, you still, you don't want to rush him back, but that's encouraging. Um, you know, Tyler McGill, Tyler McGill, we talked about him in the first half. He's been a guy who stepped up and been terrific. Um, you know, hopefully maybe a Robert Stock can, can come in and, and, and provide a, you know, a lift. Hopefully Jeremy Hefner and them can really, you know, get the most out of him. But, you know, you're one through three with McGill in a bullpen day. It might have to be the way right now. And, you know, the bullpen day is kind of a conundrum in itself. Um, 
you know, Aaron Loop, who's been terrific this season, I believe he's now at a 1.61 ERA, um, gave you two shutout innings to start the game on Sunday. They gave him a five-run lead. You know, it, it fell apart, but the positives can't be lost here. You know, uh, Edwin Diaz, again, t- taking Sunday out of the equation, um, he's been outstanding in non-saves, in save situations, in non-save situations, which he should not be in anymore. Um, not so much. But in save situations, I believe entering Sunday is like a 0.90 ERA. Um, still hasn't allowed a home run this season. Neither is Aaron Loop. You know, these are things that you hang your hat on and you keep on moving forward. There's going to be bad days at the office. Uh, if, if anybody can tell you that, Edwin Diaz can tell you that. But, you know, you, you bounce back, you keep on moving. Um, you know, Jerry's familiar. He's been up and down, but he still enters the second half with a 3.24 ERA. That's something that you can really say, hey, you know, maybe you got to use him in the right spots, but... You know, this is a, a, a foundational guy. Seth Lugo, he's had a 2.65 ERA since he's come back. You know, this is one of the best relievers in the game over the last three years. This is someone that you want to, um, you know, that you, you should be happy to have around. And I think as he, if he can give you multiple innings a few times a week, that's uh, it's absolutely huge. But hey, don't push it. I know that they took the Lugo rules away now that he's got the bone chips removed, but you know, you kind of have to um, tread lightly. Once he's ready and once he's really snapping off that curveball, and he's again, he's looked terrific so far, but um, you may see him moving up in the uh, in the pecking order. Trevor May, we talked about him in the first half, started off the season on a tremendous run after a tough outing his first his first, uh, first game of the season. Um, went on a, ter- a terrific run after that. Really, really fell into the doldrums following that. And then since then, you know, I, like I said in the first half, Saturday was his first earned run in 10 appearances. So, you know, th- there's certainly um, pillars to or, and columns and support beams to kind of keep this thing together. You know, Miguel Castro, you really have to find a way to use his – use him to his strengths. Um, again, I know I said it in the first half, Louis, ha- Louis Rojas – you know, if you have Drew Smith available, and Drew Smith's been outstanding too. Where's my numbers for Drew Smith? Here we go. 3.22 ERA. This is a guy who came over from Tampa Bay in the Lucas Duda trade so many years ago. And, um, you know, he's paying dividends. And that, I think that speaks volumes to this regime, getting the most out of guys. I know they tried with Drew Smith, and, and he was right there. Then he got hurt with the elbow. Um, but, you know, to, especially now to come back and, and do what he's done and, and be reliable, you know, that's big. He still has some kinks to work out, but I think he's certainly getting there. Um, Yenzi Diaz, I think we saw, you know, I think I think I think he would be a nice development project for the second half because, boy, he, he gets his fastball up there. He gets his secondary pitches where he wants them. You know, if if they can get the most out of him come the end of a September, and Diaz can be a another weapon, even a multiple inning guy out of the pen, you know that's a plus. Robert Gazelman was having a terrific season before he went down um, with the torn lat, which you gotta hope he comes back. But that's such a, you know, I think they pegged it at six to eight weeks. That's gotta be a, a hopeful target, but we'll see. But 
I think before he had a couple of bad outings before he actually went to the IL. Before that, he was at like a 2.3 something ERA. He he left, you know, he went to the IL at 3.65, but really moving right along, he wasn't walking guys, uh, two and a half walks per nine. You know, this is the type of um, steps forward you like to see. Corey Oswalt. Uh, was really pitching nicely. Hopefully he's uh, coming back off the IL. I think he went on with right knee inflammation. You got to hope that, I guess, comes to pass after the uh, the All-Star break. Give everyone a rest. We all need a little break. Boy, speaking of needing a break, um, and we'll get to the offense in a second, but just wanted to thank all you guys who are listening, all you guys. We fluctuate from week to week, but um, everyone who takes the time to listen, everyone who takes the time to go on the Apple and read, and you know, I put up content every day. I don't expect everyone to keep up with it like it's the most important thing in the world, but we're we're you know we're developing a loyal following, and it's a really cool feeling. I just kind of wanted to thank everybody for that. It's been um an un- unreal experience going out on my own. You know, there are certainly battles to to fight and and you know there's a a shock to the system of of being you know on your own through this process but um you know the waves are being made progress is being made it's it's really exciting and i hope you guys are enjoying it and we're going to be incorporating a lot more as we move forward and yeah, yeah i hope you uh you're all sticking around and and having as much fun as i am but onward um the offense, of course, we talked about the pitching. That has clearly led the way here. The Mets wouldn't be here if not for the pitching, and of course, not for the the uh, the New York Mets bench mob, who, uh, without a doubt, ends up in Mets lore after uh, what they did just over the first half. Just out- outstanding guys like you know Jose Peraza, who you know his numbers on the surface don't look great, but boy, you look into his. Hitting with men on base, hitting with runners in scoring position, just outstanding stuff, man. Like you couldn't expect this from anybody. Billy McKinney, how could anybody have expected the levels of product? Or I should say, the high points that we saw from guys like McKinney, from guys like Patrick Mazika, from Jose Peraza. You know, Luis Guillorme, He's been showing flashes for two years. If you're late to the party, that's on you. But everyone's contributing, man. It's um. You know, the going these these long lengths without your whole team available, um, you know, not having Conforto and McNeil was huge. Not having Nimmo, as we can see, was huge. I, you know, J.D. Davis, before he hit the I.L., everyone forgets J.D. Davis was hitting like 390 with a, is that a 1.1 OPS? Like, come on, this guy was raking. And, of course, we can't expect him to stay at those levels, but... You know, this is a, a, a well-built team, and we saw the the peaks and valleys, especially, you know, you look at Lindor, you saw the just the stretch that he had and the ups and downs since, and now he's really starting to find a groove, and boom, the all-star break hits. So you got to hope guys stay fresh, but, you know, Jonathan VR has been a godsend. You know, he might have played his way into, like, a regular rotation role, and I know that Rojas had him somewhat pegged for that, going into the season, but he was very much a, 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 a bench cog. He's in the rotation now. He's going to command starts. He's, he, unfortunately, you know, he might be taking playing time away from Luis Guillorme, but you know, Guillorme's a, a, your quintessential bench player as Guillorme's your quintessential bench player. Brandon Nimmo's your quintessential fire starter, man. He just goes out there. He makes everyone else around him better. He's the, the, the Michael Jordan, of, uh, of Mets lineups. 
everyone else kind of benefits from having him around. And, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Over the last three years, we've kind of seen that. He gets on base, he comes around, he scores. And it, like I was saying a few weeks ago, he as you get regulars back in the lineup, it's going to change opposing pitchers' approaches. Now we're kind of starting to see that effect take place. Um, you know, you can't battle everyone with curveballs because Brandon Immel hits curveballs. And, you know, there's still going to be guys falling for this, but that's where the hitting coaches come in and, and kind of move everybody along and make the adjustments. And, you know, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago, when Kevin P, uh, Kevin Pillar is your fourth outfielder, um, and of course, you know, his offensive numbers aren't there, but he's one of the Mets who have just absolutely torn the cover off the ball with runners in scoring position. So it all comes out in the wash, but you know, when Kevin Pillar is your fourth outfielder and your lead bench guy, you know, that's a really, really good situation to be in. If they want to go out and, you know, naturally you're going to have to think they're going to add to the rotation at the trading deadline, where they might go, who knows. We're going to do a trade deadline show over the next week or two, and I'm sure we're going to address all of these things. But, you know, you kind of have to think about going out and looking for a bat too. I know we've brought up Chris Bryant twice already, but again, he'd be an ideal fit if the prices match up and if the uh, you know if the Cubs and the Mets can kind of come together on an agreement that's not too dearly uh, costly for the Mets. You kind of have to make that move, man. Ah, a World Series in Queens. Oh my goodness, it'd be too much. Um, yeah, I mean, guys, I could drone on. You've heard me sit here and, and talk positive about this team literally all season when, to, when things were at their absolute worst. Shout out to Shannon. You guys know Miss Met on uh, on Twitter. Shout out to Shannon because the, the positivity coming from that way, it's just, you know, for a long time, um, a lot of people were all doom and gloom. And you see certain voices come out and the positivity just kind of comes out with it. And it's... uh. It's very refreshing, but back to Shannon. She said it on Sunday uh, about Francisco Lindor, and I, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm just paraphrasing. So if, if you if you couldn't appreciate Francisco Lindor at his worst, you don't deserve him at his best, and that that kind of sums up this entire Mets team. I'm sorry, I just dropped my pen. Um, <laughs> it it kind of sums up this the whole first half for this for this Mets team. If you couldn't appreciate them, if you couldn't see the best and and stay involved and hope for better days when things were absolutely at their worst over the last three months. And we saw it and there were multiple points that we said, Oh, there's no way they're coming out of this alive. Most of us, <laughs> um, you know, it, just that never say die. I, I lost, I lost my train of thought. That's how, uh, it's been so crazy. They, they keep on coming back. They're like freaking zombies. They just, it's been um, exciting. And how you don't build off that and carry that into the second half is uh, it's just beyond me. I mean, you, 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 you have all this momentum. And sure, splitting a series with the Pirates is, oh, what's that? And everyone's up in arms. But hey, who cares? It's been a great first half. I don't care. Get over it. Move past it. Everyone, they all have to move past it. The, the the Mets, of course. They have to move past it. We all got to move past it, too. And, you know, come Monday, it's it's opening day 2.0. It's, it's great. But, you know, in the second half, you're going to have, we said it before, you have Jake Chase in history. He's going after arguably the most impressive 
pitcher, a start, season for a starting pitcher in MLB history. You know, Pete Alonso's looking like Pete Alonso again. We've seen him put this team on his back in the past. Um, if he's doing, if he's 2019 Pete in the second half, watch out. Same thing goes for Michael Conforto. We saw it on Sunday. Um, the ball's just flying off his bat again. Now it's actually finding gaps and landing over the fence. And, you know, if he's there and if Lindor's there and if Nimmo's still doing his thing and if McNeil's doing his thing and Dom Smith, guys, I could go on. That's, that's six, six guys right there. I mean, it's, uh, really, uh, if you're a Mets fan and you're not ridiculously excited for the second half, um, I, I don't know what to tell you. you. You've been jaded after a very long, you know, just <laughs> strenuous, however long it's been rooting for this team, and uh, and you, you just jaded. Um, there's so much to be excited about and so much to root for in this team. You know, it's going to be a special second half. Uh, you know, I don't want to jinx anything, but I'll. I'll put money on it that this team ends up in October uh, in the postseason and they they a, a deep run into October is not out of the question especially in this National League um I'm not the Giants have been terrific I'm very very curious to see um their lineup up front you know I catch them when I can but I believe the Mets are out there in August uh very interested to see them. We know that the Mets can handle the Padres. We know that they can handle the Cubs. We know they can handle the Brewers. Um, I think they see the Dodgers the same trip they see the the Giants, and that's always going to be a, a hurdle to get over. But guys, this is um that's why they, this team is so close. If you have a a landscape a landscape shifting move to make, go out and make it because that could set you apart from the rest of the National League and. You know, you look towards the American League, and there's some very good teams out there, and and you're going to have to battle. But what the White Sox, what the Rays? You know, the Rays smoked the Mets when they were in town, but you know the Mets were losing. They had just lost a bunch of guys onto the IL. They lost Conforto and McNeil, I believe, in the same series in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, and eh, I believe that I want to say they had. One of those games in hand? I, I don't even remember. As I was saying, it's been a long first half. Um, yeah, I, this I put this team in a, in a seven-game series with this pitching staff against any team in baseball. And that, you know, uh, that might be blind optimism, but it's not because I think that they've proven each and every guy in this lineup. If they're on, this is a force. And we're starting to see that effect um, – in full blast, and it's it's very exciting. But that's where I'm going to go ahead and end it here. I've droned on long enough. I was telling Andrew before I hit record, I thought this was going to be a 25-minute episode, but uh, here we are. Guys, thank you so much again. This has been an outstanding first half. Uh, only magic in the second half. Let's go Mets all day. Uh, you guys know where to find us. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, subscribe to the Apple Paid, if you want to become a paid subscriber to the Apple, that's even better. Um, never will I put up any paywalls. It's always going to be literally off my fingertips to my keyboard and straight to you guys. I'm never, never going to put it behind a wall. But uh, if you'd like to contribute, of course, it's always uh, it's always very, very welcome and very, very appreciated. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, huge thanks to Andrew Claudio, who uh, just continuously does amazing things on the back end of this show. Uh if I had more time, I'd, I'd explain, but boy, he's a fucking miracle worker. Anyway, guys, we will talk to you on Friday. Um, 
Let's go Mets. That's all I got to say. Let's go Mets. Peace.